It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Jim Stanley in for Brother Bert Harper, and we'll be taking your phone calls almost immediately at 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And I'm joined by the smartest man I know, Dr. Alex McFarland. Alex, oh, Brent, Alex, our, our engineer, sound engineer, Brent Austin, was pointing to himself, but I cleared exactly. that up quickly. Yes. Well, God bless you, brother. Uh, This is great to be on Exploring the Word with you, Jim. And folks, Fireway Friday, this is all calls, all the hour. We welcome your Bible questions. And the number, as Jim said, is 888-589-8840. Hey, I've been enjoying going through 1 John together, haven't you? Yes, sir. I sure have. That's uh, I've mentioned before that I know we're not supposed to have favorites in the Bible, but I've you know, Romans and first, second, third John, and of course the Gospel of John of John are some of my favorites, and uh, so it's been a it's been a good three days for me for sure. Well, Amen. Hey, let me respond to an email I got yesterday from a listener in Michigan, uh, and the listener said, "Because you know, Jim, I think this was Wednesday afternoon. Um, it was pretty heavy on the love of God." And like in in First John four eight, it says God is love, and and you and I were saying that you know herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He first loved us. And I was saying that God loves you, and whoever you are, you know, God loves you, and His arms are open. And so a listener in Michigan emailed, very nice email, uh, and said uh, she had never heard us be so soft on sin and said, God is angry with sinners. Yes, that is true. And in fact, I think about like Romans chapter 1 that says, uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all sin and ungodliness. That's Romans 1, 18 and following. So um, I got to say, you know, on Exploring the Word, Bert Harper, Alex McFarland, Jim Stanley, I really, I don't think that we're soft on sin, and if it sounded that way, we're not. I mean, sin is serious, and if if there's ever a program where we do talk about repentance, and you must repent, that's Luke 13, 3. But, Jim, I, I want to stand by what you and I were saying, that it is clear that God is full of love, God is full of mercy and grace, and His arms are open. And the the Lord says, whosoever will may come. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we're being soft on sin, uh, and we, we call out sin, as does the Word of God, but we serve a Savior who says he's willing to forgive, and any and all who turn to him can be forgiven and can be saved. Well, and I think we even clarified that in our discussions, is that the only reason that we could talk about the love of God is because of what gave, God gave us through his son that we are even able to repent of sin. If Christ yeah. had not come and paid the price for us, and, you know, I, I really do believe that we pointed that out a couple of times, 
And then a couple of times we even talked about the, the need for salvation and shared uh, the one triple eight need him, uh, one triple eight need him. And so, um, you know, so yeah, I, I could see that we did talk a lot about love because, you know, beloved, let us love one another for love is Mm -hmm. of God. So that's right. You know, when you're, when you're talking about the word, when you're talking about the scripture, then I think that you have to take it in its totality. Amen. Amen. And, uh, one last verse, and we're going to go to the phone calls, but Second Peter 3, 9 is a great verse that does speak of the patience and the love of God. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but the Lord is, listen to this, long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but mm. that all should come to repentance. Now, not all do come to repentance. Some reject, sadly, but God is willing that whoever will turn from sin to Christ, he will receive. That number, folks, is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And uh, whether it's related to First John or not, uh, Jim Stanley and I will do our best to give an answer to all of your, your Bible questions or Christian worldview-related questions will we'll give you an answer that, to the best of our knowledge, is biblical and factual. All right, we're going to start with Lori calling from Tennessee. She's a first-time caller, so we appreciate that. Lori, good afternoon. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Good evening. Hello? Hey, we're here. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, I have a question about idols. I have a nativity scene. I have two of them, actually. One is like a 3D where you have the models um, of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and um, the three kings. But I also have a painting of that, too. And it was brought to my attention that the, the 3D set is really idol worship and... I just I'm trying to figure out how that would that would be an idol. Alex, I guess. Can I take a shot at this? Yeah, please do. And then I know your love for Christmas, so I want you to come back <laughs> and speak to it. But to me, it's one of these things. I, I immediately when I saw the question uh, from the call screener, and then heard her say it, I immediately thought of the children of Israel. And the, the story there in Joshua 4, 6, and 7. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And I, I think that's what the nativity scene represents in a lot of homes because we're not worshiping those idols or we're not worshiping worshiping those figurines as idols. We're simply talking about and telling the story of what the nativity scene looked like and why it's important. Would you agree with that? Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, God bless you for being so, you know, conscientious and, and trying to be very careful about not violating, you know, something that Scripture prohibit, prohibits. Uh, Jim, I do not in any way think 
that a nativity scene at Christmas or even um, a painting of Christ. You know, there was a very famous artist named Warner Salmon, and he painted some of the most beloved pictures of Jesus. I don't think that violates what the Bible says, like in Isaiah 42, uh, 8, I believe it is. Uh, Isaiah 42, 8 says, I'm the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Mm. And many scriptures, you know, talk about not creating an idol. Uh, I don't think it does, because I'll tell you why. Um, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were so repeatedly warned not to be idolaters, that was like an, a, a, an object that they would pray to or sacrifice something in front of, and people viewed, whether it be a golden calf or a totem, you know, the book of Jeremiah talks about these, uh, you know, um, kind of uh, things they would put, uh, like a, a, a grotto of these totems. Mm-hmm. Well, the nativity scene, the manger scene, or even a cross in the church, you know, so many, many, many churches, maybe on the communion table, they'll have a, a, a beautiful brass cross, or back on the wall behind the, the pulpit, maybe there's a cross. That's not an idol. See, here's the difference. The object is fine as long as it reminds us to look to the genuine person, Jesus. Um, I think paintings are so inspiring. Uh Leonardo da Vinci's paintings of the Last Supper, the French artist Gustave Dore, who painted over 300 pictures of Jesus, and then the Dutch artist Karl Bloch, B-L-O-C-H, unbelievable, some of the beautiful paintings of Jesus. And um, Jim, have you ever heard of the Getty Art Museum out in Los Angeles? Yes, sir. Uh, actually, I, when I was out there speaking, we did a youth camp, and on several summers we took youth to the Getty Art Museum, and what was so amazing was it seems like 50 or 60 percent of all the art out there, and they had some Van Goghs and some classic art, paintings of Jesus or Mm. scenes from the gospel. So uh, we're not praying to that physical object. We're not looking to that physical object to give us salvation. We're not putting sacrifices in front of that object. The object it doesn't violate the prohibitions against idolatry as long as it's pointing us to the real Jesus, and maybe it, it inspires us to worship the real Jesus. I think artistic creations that honor God are absolutely appropriate, Jim. Amen. I agree. You know, I remember um, several years ago, uh, well, many years ago now, since my kids were little. And we would often do what God wants for Christmas. And that was from Family Life Today. That was one of the resources they had. And so it was a box, and in the box were different presents. Well, as you opened the presents, you would share the story of, as you were saying, of the shepherd, sharing the story of the wise men, sharing the story of Mary, and then uh, sharing the story of Jesus. And then on the very last day, what God wants for Christmas is a surprise. I remember that. That was always the, you know, the the line in there. What God wants for Christmas is a surprise. And then when you open the last box, and the bottom of it was a mirror. Mm. And, you know, it, wow. what God wants for Christmas is you. He wants you to come to know him as Savior. And so, 
I man, wow! Because you, you know me, I'll I'll fuss every now and then about crosses, uh, only because we wear them so often we forget the significance of what it is and right. what it means. But we have to be careful not to worship the cross, because right. the cross was a tool that God used to offer up the sacrifice of His Son. So mm. there we go. Let's talk to James now. You're calling from Mississippi, James. Let me get the right mouse in my hand. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello, Great. James. Thank you. Hello. I got a... Um, hey, James. Hold on. Brother, I'm so sorry. Hold on for me for just a minute. I took that call and never looked up at the clock. Folks, the number is 888-589-8840. 589 Jim Stanley. Alex McFarland with you as Exploring the Word continues on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. that is some great bumper music for a Friday afternoon that all our hope is in Jesus. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland with Jim Stanley. And the number for your calls and Bible questions is 888-589-8840. Jim, I think before the break, we had a caller on James. We do. James James is still with us. Yay, good. Yes, I'm still here. Well, we appreciate your patience. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. But anyway, I'll ask my question, then I'm going to hang up, guys, because I'm here at the gas station. Um, okay, here's what I'm wondering. Do you think that, that some people would, are going to end up in hell because they refuse to submit to God's authority, even knowing what they're doing? And, and I want to use the, the rich man in Lazarus as a example because he never did ask that be let out of hell he just asked for something to drink so because i've talked to a lot of people that don't want nobody telling them what to do not even god Hmm. wow well great question james you know yes the bible is very clear that there will be multitudes that do not go to heaven uh they go to hell eternally and and it's not because of any uh we, we often, we've had questions about, will this or that sin send you to hell? The, the sin that has all of us under condemnation until we uh, turn to Jesus is, is the sin of unbelief. Because here's the thing, we, we all must be born again. Uh, and until we have accepted Christ, we're lost. The Bible uses words like, you know, condemned, unsaved. Now, it's the human nature, the fallen nature, that we want to be self-directed, self-centered. You know, we, we know the right and we do the wrong. And so uh, your, your friend or whomever who says, yeah, I, I don't want anybody telling me what to do, yeah, that's, that's called our fallen, sinful 
self-directed nature. But the Bible says that we must be like little children and humble ourselves before God. Now, let me just say this, and folks, I would urge you to really take inventory in your own heart and soul. Um, Are you willing to admit that we're accountable to God? And we are. God is our creator. God is the authority. Uh, And we're accountable to God. And there have been times we've disobeyed God, and we have known the right, and we've done the wrong. We've known the truth, and yet we've told lies. We've known that we should forgive people, and yet we hold grudges when we're guilty too. That All that is called sin, and sin will separate us from God. And uh, Jim, the reason that God took on a human body, came down to earth, was willing to die on a cross and rise from the dead, was because our sin problem is very, very serious. But the Bible says that if we will put our faith in Jesus, he will forgive our sins. Amen. So what what uh, sends people to hell and they miss heaven, uh, I'm just going to summarize it, is the fact that we leave this world without having addressed the sin problem. But if anybody will put their faith in Jesus, all their sins are washed away. Praise God. So if you're listening to this, folks, and you don't know that you've done that, if there was never a time when you said in your soul, I need to get saved, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ, then, friend, do that today while you're in the land of the living. Absolutely. And if if that's on your heart and you need someone to talk to, let us encourage you to call one triple eight need him. That's one triple eight need him. And there's someone that's there that will be willing to chat with you and talk with you about salvation and what that means. And so uh, please don't don't miss out on the opportunity that's set before you. Well, let's talk to Lynette now, calling from Montana. Lynette, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. I just wanted to make a comment about the person who said that you talked about the love too much and we're too easy on sin. And I just wanted to say that uh, you can talk about the love of God all you want because God loves a sinner. He mm. just hates the sin. And that's what we need to condemn is the sin, not the sinner. And I just, that just thought came to me when you made comment about what she had said. Mm. And um, just keep talking about his love. He loves us all. (laughs) He sure does. God bless you. Thank you, Lynette. Have a great weekend. Well, we're going to talk with, by the way, Lynette was a first-time caller, I believe, as well. And now we've got another first-time caller, Alex. We're going to talk to Cheryl, calling from Ohio. Cheryl, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. So I have a rather tough question. Um, I'm a first and second grade Sunday school teacher at my church, and we were wow. talking about God love. bless you. Hey, hey, forgive me for interrupting oh, Alex here, but God bless you for teaching Sunday school. That is w- wonderful ministry. I, I commend you. Well, it's my joy to do it, so I feel privileged to <laughs> um, teach. But um, my question is, we were talking about Philip. And the angel comes to Philip and says, um, leave Jerusalem and go down the road to Gaza. And that's where he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. But when I mentioned the angel, a couple, one of the kids asked me, 
um, about fallen angels, and I said that about a third of them had fallen with Satan. And then I made the comment, it's hard for me to imagine that they lived with God, and yet they turned their back on God. So then one of my little girls asks, well, do you think their hearts were always black, or were they good, and then they turned dark? And I did not know how to answer that. (laughs) So I'm just calling to see what your thoughts are. Well, great question. And, you know, this is one of those subjects that, you know, we, we take several scriptures and we draw, to the best of our ability, a conclusion. In Isaiah 14, it talks about Lucifer, who became jealous of God and wanted to put his throne above God, and he was kicked out of heaven. Um, and it says you were perfect in all of your ways until iniquity pride was found in you. Now, Revelation 12, verse 4, it's interesting because the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible written by the Apostle John, uh, it contains a lot of prophecy, but it contains also some history, because in Revelation 12, 4, it says that the dragon, which is that old serpent, Satan, swept a third of the stars from the sky. And most uh, commentators take that to mean that one-third of the angels, and we, we don't know exactly how many this was, but it was presumably a lot of angels, uh, one-third of the angels fell with Lucifer. Lucifer is now Satan, and the angels that sided with Lucifer in a failed coup attempt of heaven, they're now fallen angels, demons. Now, Jim, he, here's what a lot of people have said, and like Vance Havner. Vance Havner was a famous scholar of years past, and he kind of is famous for—he's the one that encouraged Billy Graham to become an evangelist. But here's the thing. The test for eternity for we humans is in this life. Will you accept Christ and be born again? And then when, whenever we die, what, what we are is what we'll be forever. If you, if you die in a state of sin and unbelief— uh, the Bible talks about the resurrection unto damnation. But if you are a believer, uh, you leave this world, you go into eternity, uh, you're glorified, and your state is fixed. So what about angels? Well, their test is in eternity past. We don't know how far back. It was presumably a, a, a moment prior to the creation of this world. But the test for angels, uh, two-thirds stayed true to God, one-third very foolishly, tragically sided with Lucifer and were Mm. kicked out. Because humans and angels both had free will. Now, our free will is in this life. Do you or do you not choose Jesus? But angelic free will at some time in eternity past, and Jim, I'll say this, I'll throw it to you, Um, God doesn't force anybody into a relationship with him. And some of the angels, and people have asked this question. Now listen to this, and I'll wrap up. Why is there no provision made for the salvation of fallen angels? Uh, And the answer, um, to have been in the presence of God, the very presence of God, to have seen the Lord in his glory, uh, created at some time in eternity past, and to have sided with a created being 
to try to literally kill God and take over heaven, there is no salvation for fallen angels. That is a level of rebellion and unbelief and treason against God that is Mm. inexcusable. So, uh, Jim, to the caller's question, a third of the angels at some time prior to the creation of the world and Adam and Eve, um, they sided with Lucifer. So here's the thing. They couldn't kill off God, so they've tried to harm and deface and dehumanize the ones made in God's image, the human race. But praise God, there was a second Adam named Jesus, and in Christ we are secure, we are saved, we are redeemed by having put our faith in him. Amen. Hey, Cheryl, I'm going to put you on hold. Don't go away. Our call screener is going to get your address and everything, and I'm going to send you a copy of the 100 questions uh, of the Bible that Alex and Bert co-wrote together. And I'm going to be with Alex next week, so I'm going to get him to sign that for you, if you don't mind. Amen. And, Amen. Um, so, and you know, Jim, I think we address this to, to a fair degree of uh, thoroughness. Uh, that's in that book, actually. And, uh, absolutely. So... Uh, We look forward to sending that to you, and thank you for your service to serve the next generation. God bless. All right. I think I got her on hold. Let's talk to Cynthia now calling from North Carolina. Cynthia, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Thank you for having me. I have a question. Um, So the the scripture of Exodus 20 and 4, and it talks about graven images, what is your explanation of graven images? What what are you what is it that God is speaking of? Okay, so if you'll go ahead and read four and five there from Exodus, it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I the Lord Thy God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now, Alex, when when we look at that and we see the word graven image, I I went as far as to go ahead and look it up uh, Mm -hmm. in the dictionary. And so uh, it says the word graven means carved or sculpted. Graven mm-hmm. images refer to some kind of object that or image that has been made to represent a God or basically for you to worship. And so you think of the time that God gave this commandment. What did Moses find when he came down from the mountain, Alex? A golden calf. A golden calf that the children of Israel were going to worship. So that goes back mm-hmm. to the nativity set. We don't yeah. worship the nativity set. We worship what the nativity set represents. Now, if we ever get confused and decide that the images that are in that manger scene are worthy of worship of themselves, it goes back to the the thing, anything can be an idol. Graven or ungraven, a dollar bill, a hundred dollar bill. So, Alex, go ahead, if you would, please, and and look there in Exodus and, and tell us a little about what you think that means. Well, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Jim, when you looked up the... In Exodus 20, verse 4, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, and it does mean carved. 
and car, C-A-R-V-E-D, like man-made. See, there's nothing a human made that is God or can save us. And, you know, you mentioned uh, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and uh, God said, you know, get thee down, the people have defiled themselves. And Aaron said, we had a fire and this calf came out. <laughs> Do you remember that? He, he didn't. Like, he didn't give the whole story until a little bit later, where they yeah, had given exactly. up all their gold. And uh, by the way, you you know, folks, one of my favorite movies is Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. And I mean, I know it's three hours; it's a long movie, but it, in my opinion, that movie is so exceptionally well done. But a graven image. Now, here's the thing: if you go down to verse five, don't bow down to them or serve them. See. The manger scene, and I love. We've got so many manger scenes, and I love uh, sacred art, you know. Mm-hmm. But but we don't pray to that thing. I know that little nativity scene. That's not my savior. Um, I think it's an artistic tribute to the wonderful thing our savior did. But we don't bow down to a painting or any man-made carved-out thing. We it just causes us to lift our heart to the Lord. Jim, you know what's a fascinating subject is church architecture. And you know the we don't worship the building or the steeple, but even there was a time when builders that they wanted the uh, architecture of the church to lift your eyes toward heaven, to look toward the Lord. So we're not idolaters. We just worship our savior. Amen. Folks, stick around. More to come on exploring the word right after this on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You're my defender. You fight for me. I will remember. You're all I need. You are my healer. My remedy. Hi there, I'm Jim Stanley along with Dr. Alex McFarland taking your Bible questions at 888 589 8840. 888-589-8840. And Alex, before we just step away from the graven images and the paintings and whatnot, I have to share one of my favorite portraits of Jesus is uh, the one where he is laughing. You mm. know, that God is at peace, Jesus is at peace, and he's able to laugh. I think that's one of the things that we forget that he did suffer and die for us, absolutely. But there were times that Jesus, being a human, laughed. Amen. Amen. And, and you know, and I, I think I know the picture you're talking about. It's very beautiful. Um, there was uh, a big rendering of that that hung on the wall at Focus on the Family uh, when I worked up there in Colorado. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and this is one of the things, you know, Jim, I was uh, thinking about this a couple of days ago. Um, there have been a number of incredible movies like The Jesus Film Project mm-hmm. that Bill Bright you know, spearheaded, which touched so many lives. And, you know, in Islam, look, folks, there's never been a movie about the the joy of Islam or the life of Muhammad, because if you do a drawing or painting or artistic rendering of Muhammad in that religion, you could um, 
be executed. But look, you think about the the plays, you think about the musical works from Handel's Messiah to Amazing Grace to the hundreds of hymns by Fanny Crosby to uh, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Mm -hmm. You think about, and I've mentioned the great artists from, you know, Norman Rockwell to Warner Salmon that have painted Jesus, and then you think about the films. Um, You remember in 1979 there was a film uh, Jesus of Nazareth, directed by Franco Zaffarelli. Jim, I think it's just so beautiful not to be idolaters, but the world's great art, literature, and music have gravitated around biblical themes and the life of Jesus. And um, our God is worth celebrating. Our God is worth the best that we can do, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be art or just living a godly life. Because we don't serve a dead Savior, we serve a living Savior, and that life touches uh, our behavior, our our art, our our human expression, doesn't it? Sure does. Well, let's go back to the phones now. We're going to talk to Janice calling from Texas. Janice, good afternoon. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Well, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yes. I have a question. I have a scenario, but then I have a question. Um, I was researching, and I I was told that the four Gospels, well, I was told that the Old Testament began after Jesus' death. Is that correct? No. No, the Old Testament was written from about 1440 B.C., to about 400 B.C., so the Old Testament was completed 400 years before Jesus was born, actually. Before he was born, okay. Mm-hmm. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, I was told that when Jesus, since Jesus was still living in Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John, that... Um, the Old Testament, since he was still living, that the Old Testament was started in after he died. Janice, I think what you mean is the New Testament. Well, some people teach that the New Testament was started after the death of Jesus, but the four Gospels chronicle the life of Jesus and the road to the sacrifice that he made. But those are also clearly New Testament books because, as Alex just said, you know, the Old Testament, it, there was a 400-year period of silence, uh, if you look at that. And so, uh, Alex, I, I think that's what she was going for, because I have some of the notes from where she first talked to the call screener. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think what she's looking at is some people have taught that the New Testament didn't begin until the death of Christ. Right, right. And and that's really true. You know, um, the the Bible that we have, the 66 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, which sometimes is called the Old Covenant. See, a covenant is a promise and an agreement, and the Old Covenant was this. God says, look, Israel, I'm going to send a Savior. And the New Covenant, or the New Testament, is the wonderful reality that God made good on his promise. He did send that Savior who is Jesus. Now, the New Testament 
is wonderful. The first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the the life of Jesus from eyewitnesses, you know, eyewitness accounts of he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he paid for our sins on the cross, rose from the dead. And those are the the Gospels, and that means good news. Sometimes, Jim, uh, you'll see this phrase, the four evangelists. And what they mean by that are the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the New Testament, well, the book of Acts uh, is kind of the history of the early church. And then the rest are these letters that, you know, Paul wrote, Peter wrote, John wrote. Um, and the letters to the early church, whether it be Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, um, they were written to first century Christians, but they're beneficial for us today. And so you've got the Bible, which is God's love letter to the human race, and I know it's a big book, might seem a little intimidating. I think we can summarize it by simply saying this— the Bible is the message that if we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we are saved and we'll spend eternity with him in his wonderful kingdom. Amen. Great answer, Alex. Thank you. And uh, Janice, thanks for the call there. We appreciate it. Going to talk to Richard now, calling from Mississippi. Richard, thanks for holding on so long, buddy. Oh, no problem. I love you guys. I'm just glad to be here. I just wanted to share what God had spoken my soul yesterday uh, uh me and a buddy from work we'd been kind of ministering to each other back and forth and i heard it in my soul he was telling me to make way for the king mm. just make way for whether that means for me to step out of his way or to genuinely prepare for the coming of the king wow. well richard that's a that's a great thought and alex um you know, as we look at that, we are basically in the second advent where we are looking for the king. And I think of Palm Sunday uh, where the folks, you know, that was one of the cries was to make way for the king. And so I think we are called to make way for the king, to make sure that uh, we've made way in our hearts for Jesus to reign there. And then we look forward to the time when he will rule and reign again. Yeah. You know, Jim, this is an oldie goldie, but did you ever, growing up, hear of this hymn, Heralds of Christ Who Bear the King's Command? Uh, there was this line when I was a little boy, this would captivate me. It, um, it said, make straight, make straight the highway of the king. And the king is coming. And, uh, sir, you know, that's a great thought you had in your soul there. I don't, I don't know if it's, like you say, to uh, step aside and let God fully work or if it's something that God is speaking to the church that we are soon to see the return of the king. Mm. I don't know. Jim, I will say this. I bet I've heard this 500 times in all of my travels. In the last couple of years, people said, I just feel like we're going to see Jesus really soon. I don't know. I, I hope that is true. I'd love for Christ to return today. But we do know this. We can be ready. And like 1 John 2.28, when he appears, we want to meet him with confidence and joy, knowing that when, when we see Jesus, we were found faithful. So, uh, But I'll tell you, we're closer to his return than we were yesterday, aren't we? We absolutely are. Richard, thanks for the call this afternoon. Have a great weekend. We're going to talk to Lori from West Virginia. 
uh, pardon me, Lewis from West Virginia. My eyes Hello? must have crossed there. Hi, um, ma'am, tell me your name. Lois, L-O-I-S. Lois, okay. Okay, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to get a hold of you. <laughs> I, enjoy, I enjoy your program. Uh, I have a, a question. I guess he took it. Uh, it's in Luke 12, 46, 47, 48. Uh, can you explain that to me? Or, Let me turn there. Uh, you, you say Luke 12, yes, 46, uh-huh. 47, 48. The Word of God says this. The, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he does not look for him, in an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. You know, let me uh, quote a missions expert here named Don Richardson. And by the way, folks, a really good book is Eternity in Their Hearts. Now, and this is deep truth, folks, but let me say this. Uh, One of the things... And, and what I'm about to say, Billy Graham would concur, C.S. Lewis, Don Richardson, that people are going to be accountable for the response they gave to the light they had. Now, all human beings, whether they live in America that's heavily Christianized, I mean, there's a church on almost every street corner, and there's a Gideon Bible in most hotel rooms, anybody... As, as Oliver B. Green said, some of you remember the name of Oliver B. Green, he said it would be a fearful thing to go to hell from America, mm. where you've got so much accountability, and the airwaves like AFR are broadcasting go- the gospel. Now, in you think about the remote, unreached people of the world, they still, according to Psalm 19, they have the witness of creation and the witness of conscience. In fact, Psalm 19 says, of the knowledge of the Lord, there's no speech nor language where the voice is not heard. So to your question in the Luke 12, uh, 46 through 48, some are beaten with few stripes, some are beaten with many stripes. What missiologists say this means is... Um, the unsaved person who had very, very little exposure, they're still under guilt for their sin, but, but their punishment is presumably going to be somewhat less than the person that grew up and countless hundreds of thousands of times had reminders of the gospel. You know, Jim, I, I think about the militantly secular American college campus, where not only have people heard the gospel, but these many of these professors mock the gospel, that is going to be a fearful thing, and many stripes of heavy condemnation will fall on these people that have you know well, David Platt said this, and Jim, I'll throw it to you, but David Platt said, What a tragedy when there are some in this world 
that have not heard the gospel one time, and then there are skeptics in the West that have heard the gospel a hundred thousand times. So I think what this passage is about is the level of accountability that we're going to face uh, based on our acceptance of or rejection of known truth. Amen. All right, Lois, thank you for the call this afternoon. We sure appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Going to talk to Steve calling from Kentucky. Steve, welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon. I appreciate you taking my call. And I'm, I'm calling to try to reconcile what a previous caller said, that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. But I'm trying to reconcile that with Malachi 1.3, which he, God is saying, I hated Esau. And I looked it up in the Hebrew. The word is sawni, and it really does mean hate, enemy. And then it also is confirmed in Romans 9.13, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated. The Greek word is even stronger than the Hebrew word in the Old Testament. And Esau is a type of person that wants nothing to do with God. And you'll see it in Isaiah 63. When he comes back and just, he, in fact, he comes, it says, who is coming from, who is this coming from Edom? How do you reconcile that? Great question. Uh, and, you know, there are other passages like, you know, in, in Psalm 11, where it says that uh, those who love violence, God hates with a passion. Isn't that something? Psalm 11, verse 5 uh, Proverbs talks about things the Lord hates. So let me let me try to summarize this in light of the big plan of salvation. God providentially runs this universe, and there there is like favor God shows. Now God is not a respecter of persons in the sense that some can, you know if if someone sincerely turns to the Lord in repentance and belief. God have mercy on me, a sinner. God doesn't just arbitrarily say, nope, you know, Billy Graham I loved, but you're not getting in. No, if you sincerely, because Romans ten thirteen says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But what this means is like in Genesis 12, when God called Abraham, God sovereignly chooses to uh, do some things in some lives and something else in another life that God's hatred and God's love, that's just simply the way the Bible is trying to get us to understand that he acts how he will providentially act in various lives. But Jim, I still think we we believe whoever turns to the Lord in belief can be saved if they'll put their faith in Christ. Amen, absolutely. Steve, thanks for the phone call this afternoon. I hope that helped. Ron, we won't be able to get to you, brother. Send us an email to word at AFR.net. Folks, thanks for listening to Exploring the Word. Have a great weekend. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.